Hello and welcome back to the European show. This is episode 28 and we're back with a, a jam-packed European fixture list. And to join me looking back at it, as always, is Nick. So how are you, Nick? I'm doing quite well, Jack. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So the first place we will start is with the Champions League, of course. And the first game is Real Madrid versus Manchester City. So Real Madrid took the lead in this game through what is it, a great goal by Vinicius Junior. A, a great goal with, with a great assist by by Camavinga as well. Important to say, who once again showed that uh, he is really, really quite good at left back. Uh, yeah, it was a combination play up the pitch where he just kind of like sprints up, leaves everyone behind, plays a one-two, and then just leaves it to Vinicius, who obviously has still quite a lot of work to do, and he finished it quite well. Before, in the second half, Kevin De Bruyne equalised with, an, with another great goal, but this came about in slightly controversial manner, um, with the ball going out of play before it then reached De Bruyne. Um, and then and Jack is just a Man City hater. <laughs> but nothing came from that. But I think what you could argue is both of these goals actually came against a run of play. In Vinicius's goal came when Manchester City were dominating the game, while Manchester City's goal came when Real Madrid were dominating the game. And this really kind of sets the tie up nicely for for the return leg in Manchester, because if I'm being honest, the Etihad isn't exactly like a cauldron that you get scared of visiting, and that where you know anything can happen, and it's one of those special places. It's in fact the complete opposite. Indeed, and um, honestly, the, the best thing about the game was just seeing the Browner, especially in the second half, just trying as much as possible to score against Courtois. And uh, Courtois stopped his first two, um, his first two chances quite well, actually. And you could see the fury building up in, uh, in the Brown until he just let it all out, lashing the ball into the back of the net. Uh, so he took his revenge quite well um, for a previous alleged events that have happened between the two of them. Um, but yeah. Courtois stole Kevin De Bruyne's girlfriend. Indeed. And yeah, I mean, we saw um, a very structured Man City, as you'd expect, and they took the initiative, really controlling the game from the, from the off. Um, Real Madrid's power of friendship once again uh, w- held strong and, and, and really just, they were able to absorb the pressure and, and counterattack. And, uh, and yeah, in the second half, they got more comfortable, as they usually like to do, kind of invite invite the other team in, then second half, play more expansive, and, and it worked quite well. And it, it, was, it was definitely a very fun contrast of footballing styles, kind of Pep Guardiola's very meticulous, planning every pass, every movement kind of football versus Ancelotti's just put the best players in their best positions and uh, and, and, and they'll play their best football. It, it was a good game, but um, Man City's dominating football can be hard to watch sometimes. I wouldn't say it was a, a classic. I wouldn't say it was a classic. And um, and those first 30 minutes where it was just horseshoeing around Real Madrid's box were mind-numbing. But uh, anyways, it will be exciting in the second leg and it was still exciting once the game really kicked off. So what we saw here mm-hmm. was both teams have like their standout players. And I think both teams have a... Obviously, you can't really throw this word around a lot, but both of these teams have a generational player in their ranks. Manchester City have Erling Haaland and Real Madrid have Vinicius Junior. As much as you hate me say that because you have an agenda against Vinicius. But I'm not saying Haaland's not a big game player, but he was non-existent in this game. 
especially compared to what he does in the Premier League week in, week out. And compare that to Vinicius, who was, I think, the centre point for everything Real Madrid did in the whole game. And I think he was... Uh, Kevin De Bruyne won the man of the match. Um, I think he could also make an argument that Vinicius also deserved it for the performance he put in. And the thing that stands out for me, although he didn't pull it off, and but it kind of showcases Vinicius and how good he is, there was a moment where he was... It was in the second half. He was surrounded by three Manchester City players and he managed to get out of it by rainbow flicking it over them. However, the only reason he didn't get to the ball was because he was against Carl Walker. Um, it's worth noting It's worth noting that the only reason Carl Walker got out of it because the only redeeming quality he has is is his pace. Vinicius Jr. had a considerably better game than Haaland. Of oh, course. God, yeah. But, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, of, of course. L- l- that's not up for debate. That doesn't make Vinicius... A comparable player to Haaland. Haaland is different. Here's, here's the thing. I, 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 don't, I don't see Vinicius as on the same level as Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe. If we're talking about like the players that are going to lead the future generation behind like Messi and Ronaldo. But I'd see him in the... If we're putting it in tiers, Mbappe and Haaland are in the top one. Vinicius is definitely at the top of the second one. He's not in the same one yet. I think he can get to that. But obviously what we're looking at here is Haaland and Mbappe are goal scorers. I think there's an important exposure bias as well because Vinicius is a pretty big game player, as we saw today. The thing is, in not big games, he doesn't... People who have been watching Real Madrid week in, week out in La Liga have seen that Vinicius playing away in a La Liga stadium is almost invisible. And that's kind of like the main thing holding him back. Like, sure, when you get to a Champions League game, super important, he does amazing. That is a great quality. But like, you have Haaland, you have Mbappe, no matter who they're playing, like, week in, week out, they will like, make their presence known, basically. Okay, every now and then they have an off day. But like, Vinicius against like, Mallorca, Real Vallecano, like whatever, when they're playing away, he is like, not there. Um, we'll return to this because he did really well in the, in the Copa del Rey final, but um, but yeah, I, I I think he is like really world class one third of the time, really good one third of the time, and like mid one third of the time, and and that's really what, like he needs to like change those ratios to really be in that second tier. But then you could make the same argument about Mbappe because obviously we saw in the World Cup final he it was non-existent for eighty minutes. Um, but then obviously that's what makes him good because he single-handedly turned the game around. But then week in, week out, it's not as if he's playing the top teams in France. He's not playing the likes of Lyon, Marseille, or Lyon this season, not so much, but he's playing the like no offence, but he's playing like the likes of Amiens. And they're not exactly high-level teams. And even then he's, he's not really, he's stab-padding in a way. And then obviously with Haaland here, again, obviously it was a bit different in the Bundesliga. He kind of turned up every game, but that's because there's no defending in the Bundesliga. Yes, he's managed to score against... All he does is score tap-ins, I'm not going to lie. That's a ridiculous statement. During his time at Manchester City, I've not saw seen him score a goal outside of the box. Obviously at Dortmund, you can think of many where he's actually done such a thing. Did he not watch the Arsenal game? He literally scored from, like, maybe not the exact outside, but he just smacked it from the edge and it went in. So it's not as if Haaland's 
really on it most of the time. He just basically is scoring tap-ins and not really. He, he's not the one doing the work. Um, whereas obviously the likes of Mbappe and Vinicius are more likely to create their own shot. The point here is, <laughs> um, I don't think the argument that Vinicius is only good like a quarter of part of the time is, is valid. I think all these players are not as good. All the, they're not obviously reaching the same height, consistent heights as they do. Um, but it, obviously you need players that turn up in the big games to win the big things. And if your best player or who has been your best player this season just kind of ghosts it, then obviously that's not going to be beneficial. Obviously Manchester City are lucky that they have another very good player in their ranks in Kevin De Bruyne. Who can obviously, who is as, if not more influential than Haaland? Well, I, I, I disagree. It's not all about the big games. It, the big games are, are, are the flashiest ones and they do matter a lot. But the small games are equally important. Or else, why is Barcelona winning the league? Because Real Madrid couldn't win the small games and Barcelona could. Like, at, at the end of the day, like, like that's, that's how it is. Like, why did Atletico get knocked out of the Champions League? Because they sucked in the small games. Like, they, they're not insignificant at, at all. Like... Champions League games aren't really small games because every game there's something on the line. I mean, a Bayern Leverkusen who was in the relegation zone uh, is, is pretty small, but uh, now, now they're good, obviously. But He's in a were, European like, semi-final. Great. Yeah, yeah, now they're in a European <laughs> semi-final. But back then, in the context of, like, October, it was, it was a different matter. Um, the, the, the other game, which was not as close as people expected, was the Milan derby, where you had Milan versus Inter... Um, Milan were without their best player, Rafael Leao. He he was injured. Not that it really mattered, because defensively, Inter were terrible. And that was kind of shown. Within three minutes, they were 2-0 down, with a, a, well, a great goal from Edin Dzeko and another decent goal from Henrik Mkhitaryan. Yeah, Chalinoglu also very almost scored a ridiculous outside of the box 3-0, but it hit the post very unfortunately. But it just kind of shows that within that first 20-30 minutes, AC Milan were in a dreadful state. Yeah, I think without Mike Magnon, they would have it would have been more than 2-0. Obviously, there was a suspect penalty, which was given before then cancelled, which obviously could have made it 3-0. I mean, it's like a very light foul. It's like Kiara just like puts his hand out to stop, to like drag him down, but he doesn't like exert any force. I think like the second he felt contact, I forgot his, maybe it was Jekyll who was running. I think the second he just felt contact, he like went to ground. So like maybe it's textbook, definitely like there's contact and he goes to maybe like intend to drag him down, but it was like so light. I, I, if it had been given as a penalty, I'd have been like, that's very harsh, but I see where it's coming from. But I also don't disagree with the, de- with the decision to not give us a penalty. It, it was very 50-50. But, uh, I mean, the refereeing overall was, was 50-50 in general. Like, uh, I, I hate Kilmanzan. I think he's a terrible... I think he's a terrible referee. And um, he wasn't a biased. He was just incomprehensible. There was, like, some crunching tackles that were just play on. And then, um, and then there were just a lot of, like, really light fouls, which was, which was just, like, a given. And it was like, what, there's no rationale, there's no consistency. It was re- sometimes like players would go to ground because they'd be like, oh, just a second ago, he gave like a really light foul. And then like, and then he would just be like, yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's fine. Like, just keep, just keep going. It was insane. But yeah, um, refereeing aside, yeah, I mean, AC Milan's attack really, really suffered without uh, Leao. 
uh, Salamakos was playing on that left side. Um, he had he did one. Right. Yeah, no, I was gonna say he had one really saucy moment, but he didn't have the explosiveness of um, of Liao. He wasn't like seriously scary, and um, and I think that's that was that's some, something that like really influenced uh, obviously AC Milan's attacking threat. Giroud was invisible because AC Milan just could not get the ball to him. And yeah, I mean, the last 30 minutes were horrible to watch. It was Italian football at its at its very best. It was just uh, it was just Inter Milan, 10 men in the box. Catanaccio lobbed the ball up to Zeko or Lukaku, whoever was on the pitch at the time, and uh, and hoped for the best while uh, AC Milan was just horseshoeing around. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is Milan derby, the San Siro. It's hype. And obviously... The second leg next week is, is in the San Siro as well. I don't know whether Leao will be fit for this game, but I think if he's not, it Milan needs some sort of like miracle um, because whatever they did this time didn't work and they kind of need to... Well, the annoying thing that they now have to do is go like balls out. It's weird saying this. They have to go balls out away when they're in their own stadium. <laughs> But obviously the difference is it's not going to be filled with mainly their fans. It's going to be filled with Inter fans. So they kind of have to go balls out because they need to not be cliched. They need an early goal to then make it easier for them to then score again. And without Leao, their attack isn't as, as good really. I mean, Giroud on his day is still very good. Um, I think we, we, can, we see that still. Although Salamakis did good. He's not the same level as Leao. Obviously, who's, who, who are the other options you have? Divock Origi, who, although Origi did, did, quite well. he did all right when he came on. In reality, does he have the capability, though? It, obviously, when given the opportunity to, we can see he has the ability to be in the right place at the right time. And he, he himself has been on the end of memorable comeback in the Champions League. Um, obviously on the other side you have Diaz who is rather inconsistent as well and then obviously there's De Ketelera who doesn't play football anymore yeah because he hasn't had his best first season in Italy so it's not looking good for Milan um, whereas for Inter obviously all they have to really do is kind of shut up shop um, which it will be relatively easy when you are the home team um so I, I obviously none of these ties are over, but if there's one that's slightly more over, it's definitely this one because Milan have not looked or did not really show that they're up for it in any way at all in that game. So now we're going to have a break and then we'll be back with the Europa League. Welcome back from our break. You will now, you won't hear anything because we just talk about the Europa League. Um, so we'll first look at Juventus versus Sevilla, where obviously, as we've said before, Sevilla have just relationship with the competition, and it kind of nearly showed again, if not for some luck. I only managed to catch the second half of this game, so I don't know how it how it started, but um, from what I saw. Um, well, well, to begin with, I, I doubted Mendilivar, um, who is Sevilla's manager, because at the end of the day, he before was a mid-table coach. Like, he would grab teams like Abar, keep them mid-table, 
sometimes like dip close to the relegation zone and that's it. He never managed a big team in his life. He'd never played a European game before the Man United tie. And he did quite well there. Granted, he got demolished uh, in the first leg and only with a Maguire masterclass was he able to recover. But, um, but he still did quite well. And, uh, and now I'm convinced he's actually a pretty decent manager. I think he's uh, kind of another power of friendship manager. He just kind of doesn't try to overdo it. Because Sampaoli, he was like, oh, he was trying to get his, um, his players to like play out from the back and try these really meticulous uh, and intricate like routines. And, and, and his players just couldn't like adapt fast enough. Some of them didn't have like the quality to be like doing like his very precise ideas. Meanwhile, Medelivar is just like, okay, you can do this. I'll, I'll play in this role. I'll play in this position. You have the freedom to do what you'd like to do. And uh, and it's working very well. And I was especially impressed by um, Jesus Navas in this game. Um, he hadn't been having his best season. Um, and he was very strong this game. I, I, I saw him making... Uh, the, the comments I made to Jack uh, before recording was that there's like a 20-minute period where the flow of the game was like identical. It was Juventus gets the ball, tries to play a long pass out to their left side, and then Jesus Navas would just intercept every single time. I think I saw him make like five, six, or seven interceptions, like from the 60th minute to the seven to the 80th minute. It was crazy. He was just all over them, and then obviously he's still quite good, like running up, attacking, and all of that. And he was fairly dangerous, but Sevilla weren't like dying to get a second goal because they felt quite safe. Um, and yeah, Sevilla just looked like. A, a good team that knew like how to play football. Juventus didn't seem terrible, but they looked kind of like out of ideas, just recycling the same tricks, relying on just relying on players to like produce something, and they just couldn't. Um, except for one player, uh, Pogba got subbed on at one point, and I'm not going to be like I'm not going to lie to you. I did think Pogba was dead. I thought he. I, he had left my memory. I had seen some things about him here and there. But uh, he came on the pitch and he genuinely did quite well. Not, not only was I amazed that uh, he was still playing football. But um, but yeah, he, he did add quite a lot to, to Juve. Um, he, he was good progressing the ball and he gave the assist to, to the goal. Which Jack calls luck. I call Pogba being good and like reading where there's a hole in the, in the Sevilla defense. Because it came from a corner. And then someone knocks the ball over to Pogba. Uh, so the entire Sevilla defense runs over to one side. And then Pogba, instead of like heading it at goal, heads it back to where all the defenders are running from. And then there's two Juve players just standing there and ready to take it. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he, he did like respectively well, like, like genuinely. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you've, with that, uh, the Juve got a lifeline. Um, they'll be coming to the second leg actually alive if they if they're going to the Sanchez Pijuan with a with a 1-0 aggregate score they would be screwed like th- that is a stadium that is crazy on a on a on a european night like Juve would not have won um if they if they had to overturn a lead against Sevilla now it's difficult Sevilla will be playing at home with a very very strong crowd uh behind them but it's not impossible but a Sevilla obviously um, they're the Europa League kings. They're playing in the Sanchez Pijuan, which is a beautiful stadium, and uh, I, I I would definitely have them as my favourites to go through to the next round. Yeah, I, I think Sevilla. Obviously, the fact we saw what they did in the last round in their own stadium against Manchester United, and we're kind of going into a similar situation. 
Um, albeit Juventus this season are slightly worse a team than Manchester United, and um, obviously, if, if with the what they were able to do in Juventus, I think if they're able to not only replicate it in Sevilla or Seville, um, then they're going to be fine. I generally think Sevilla are going to make another Europa League final, and doing it in in style I would say not like they're playing nice football but the fact that they've been terrible in their own league and we're talking like monumentally terrible and they go to the Europa League and beat the likes of Manchester United and possibly Juventus before they're making it to another final and their opponents in that final is obviously still up in the air um, but Roma beat Bayer Leverkusen 1-0 so with the ball Leverkusen dominated that was always really going to be the case when you're playing against a team that's managed by Jose Mourinho. But it was Roma who broke the deadlock through Eduardo Bova, who is a Roma boy. He was born in Rome. He's a Roma fan. And he scores the goal to give Roma the advantage heading to back to Leverkusen. Um, but I would say that Leverkusen will be missing or will be ruining their missed chances, as they had an effort cleared off the line from Jeremy Fringpong quite late on. They had a good uh, opportunity from Robert Andrick in the first half, but apart from that, they were kind of not really on it. Um, obviously, this is going to be beneficial that they're going back to Leverkusen. Obviously, say what you want about Leverkusen and the atmosphere that goes on there, um, but they will definitely be hoping that they can get a result and I think they'll probably will be able to overturn this but in, in my opinion if, if Leverkusen and I think I may have said this before if Leverkusen want to I'm not saying he's at fault for the goal because there's not really anything you can do about it um, when it's when you've parried it out and it goes right back to the player but I, I think if Leverkusen want to be any better they don't have Lucas Herodeki as their goalie um, he's really inconsistent he seems to really be um prone to mistakes and really if Leverkusen want to take the next step in what they in this brief period that they will have with this team before obviously players get picked apart um, they need a new goalie and that's that's simple um, so yeah the second legs are this weekend uh, or this this next week um, obviously in the conference league we have also had West Ham beat AZ Alkmaar and then Basel beat Fiorentina 2-1 with a late goal to give them a lead heading to back to Switzerland. But now we will look at the Coppa del Rey where we had the op it was there the chance of a potential Ossesina win was there before it was snatched away from them. Yeah, yeah indeed it was snatched away from them almost from the start. Um, Vinicius, reminiscent of, uh, of Benzema's glory days, um, runs down to the touchline, just barely keeping the ball in place, sprints past two defenders, and, and he plays a cutback pass to uh, Polio Rodrigo, who, um, who scored um, literally in the second minute. Um, even then, Osasuna kept their heads up, and the game ended up being extremely entertaining. It was, it was one of uh, Osasuna really... Fighting out there to um to get their first <laughs> to get their first Copa, 
um, there was uh, a lot of uh, close close chances. Um, as soon as goalkeeper had to really uh, stretch out to uh, keep out the equalizer uh, after Vinicius almost just frame for frame copied uh, his second assist. Um, Osuna had a good chance where they broke on through, uh, chipped uh, Courtois and it was cleared off the line by maybe Alaba. Um, and Alaba then uh, in turn hit the post from a free kick uh, to almost make it 2-0. Um, Osasuna did equalise with a massive thunder cunt from a corner uh, in the second half. Uh, and it made it seem like uh, their their title hopes were back alive. But uh, unfortunately, Vinicius once again was like, fuck it, I'm going to hug the touchline again. And he goes down, speeds past everyone, crosses it in, and then there's like a, a, a fluky deflection. The ball ends across his feet. I think it's cross. And then he shoots. The ball once again takes a fluky deflection. And then Rodrigo just is on his own in front of goal. And he taps it in. And uh, that basically ended Osasuna's hopes. There's still 20 minutes left of the game, but um, but Real Madrid just kind of were too organized and had a good control of of the rest of the match, while Osasuna couldn't really uh, recover properly. There, there was a fitness issue. There was uh, a, I mean, there was just Real Madrid being better. And uh, overall, honor to Osasuna. They played a really good game, and uh, their fans welcomed them in in style. They, they welcomed them back like the heroes. Um, and so yeah, it, it was a good game. It was exciting to watch and. Well, maybe maybe we'll see them make the make the cup final again next year because they're a really promising team. We did make a mistake in the last episode. We did say Barcelona had the chance to win the league this weekend just gone. We were wrong. It is this weekend coming um, that they play Espanyol because there was no La Liga matches um, over the weekend of the Copa del Rey. This week's La Liga games will uh, be Real Madrid play Getafe. Um, Getafe being in the relegation zone. So, I mean... I, the outcome of that is pretty logical. Uh, Elche versus Atleti. Elche are dead last, so the result of that is also pretty logical. Um, Espanol versus Barca. Yeah, I mean, as we mentioned in the previous episode, accidentally doing a preview a little bit too early. Um, Espanol and Barcelona are like fierce rivals. Espanol would rather die than give Barcelona the title on, in their home stadium. Uh, so they will do their very best to uh, to delay the inevitable. But uh, I don't particularly fancy their chances considering Espanyol are also in the relegation zone <laughs> so, <laughs> so um yeah other interesting game Santa Vigo versus Valencia considering Valencia are like just struggling draw equal on points with Getafe to uh not be relegated as well um I mean the relegation battle in, in the league is pretty crazy there's five points between 13th and 17th spot uh and it's, it's going to be a great a, a great battle down to the to the last I think also, Betis play Rayo Vallecano as well, which is a pretty good game, considering uh, Rayo are trying to make it into Conference League and, Rayo and Betis are still trying to keep the pace with uh, Sociedad as they try and maintain their Champions League spot. Sociedad, who play Girona, who are very also um, challenging for European spots. Well, look at the Bundesliga, where obviously the title race continues. So, it was business as usual. Bayern Munich played Werder Bremen and once again it took a long time for Bayern to kind of like make use of their dominance and they didn't score until the 62nd minute um, they ended up winning the game 2-1 but again it wasn't as comfortable as Bayern would have liked if 
Bremen had their main striker, Nicholas Fulkrug, Bayern probably wouldn't have won this game um, because Bremen were missing that cutting edge. Um, yes, they did score, but the goal was kind of a freak goal. It was a great goal, to be fair. Um, but this is a kind of goal that doesn't really get scored. And as much as I, I love him, Jan Som is quite small. And it that's he concedes long-range goals quite a lot because he is obviously vertically challenged <laughs> in the context of a goalkeeper to save such a thing. But then after that, it was once again rather hairy um, for Werder Bremen, or for Bayern Munich, I should say. And this they are now three games left, three difficult teams to play against as well. It's not it's not going to be easy. And and I I'm still not convinced with what this sounds like. I'm having some massive copium. I'm not convinced with how they've been playing in their past few games, and that's not going to change now either. Especially as we reach like squeaky bum time in the season. Um, Dortmund, what this Dortmund have developed this new personality trait. Instead of them just being shit and dropping points when buying drop points. They now just play terrible against terrible teams. And then when they're playing teams who are meant to give them a tough game, they just kind of turn it on. So nearly three weeks ago, they played Eintracht Frankfurt and they beat them 5-0. Then they played Bochum two weeks ago and they drew with them 1-1, obviously disregarding the terrible penalty decision. And then this weekend they play Wolfsburg, who are... A difficult team to play against as they're fighting for a European place and they go and thrash them 6 0 in a really comfortable game for Dortmund and a really impressive game. Um, and it really makes you think where was this Dortmund in the first half of the season? Because you have to remember, in the first half of this, not only have Bayern have been dog shit in the second half of the season, but Dortmund were terrible. In, in the first half and, and it's looking at the games that they lost because of stupid mistakes such as against Werder Bremen, Cologne games like that games that they had the opportunity they had the win in in their eyes or in the, in the, within their grasp and they threw it away potentially come the end of May those will be games that they'll look at and think why were we that bad because it, it was to a point that they were 10 points off of Bayern Munich and now they're going toe-to-toe with them. It obviously also shows how poor Bayern have been. Um, but yeah, so now, obviously, it's the gap still remains. Um, Bayern is still one point ahead of Dortmund. And what we have here is now, at the weekend, both are playing, again, rather what should be in, in on paper difficult games. But in reality, may be different. So Borussia Dortmund are against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, the game early on in the season in Gladbach was a 4-2 win for Gladbach. However, they are notoriously terrible, Gladbach, this season. Um, their, work, their away form has been terrible. And especially looking at how Dortmund have dispatched teams against such as Frankfurt and Wolfsburg at home, it doesn't look good for, for Gladbach especially with the form they've been in. And for comparison, in this game last season, Dortmund beat Gladbach 6-0. So it's potentially the same thing's going to happen here. 
I myself would like to see Gladbach win. However, for the greater good and for the greater need of the Bundesliga, Gladbach would probably have to lose. But that's probably going to be a given anyway because they have nothing to play for. Well, now we also have a an interesting situation as Bayern Munich play Schalke. Obviously, Schalke are fighting for a relegation, so they kind of need a win. What mean? What this could mean is Schalke may have to have a helping hand in helping Dortmund win the league, because a result for Schalke, whether that's a draw or a win, and and Dortmund go on to win as well, it will mean Dortmund go top again. And what's also worth noting here is, obviously, there's a thing about fan friendships in 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 the Bundesliga. Um, Schalke hate Bayern Munich and so all these add on top of the fact that um, it's not going to be easy especially the turnaround that Schalke have have faced in in recent weeks as well but then obviously next weekend which we'll get to next week is where it gets really interesting some other interesting talking points in the Bundesliga Um, Frankfurt are separating with their coach Oliver Glasner at the end of the season Oliver Glasner was obviously the man that led them to the Europa League final. Um, they are now in the DFB Pokal final, so he could potentially end with two trophies at the club, but his relationship with the higher-ups of the club has deteriorated massively as he's basically gone on complaining about the club and the squad. And investors. It's a big talking point in Germany at the moment. Um, not only to do with the league, but Hertha Berlin. So Hertha Berlin have the potential of going insolvent and, and disappearing as a club or disappearing from professional football as they're in Germany, what you have to do is you have to buy a license to play in the top two leagues. It's around 40 million. Hertha Berlin have not been able to afford this license yet. Um, they've, they've recently had new investors and there's a whole thing about a bond which are owned, which is worth 40 million, but they're not going to get it until November. Um, so now Hertha Berlin are in a sticky situation because if they cannot afford to buy this license they will be relegated and they'll be relegated from the second division as well and they'll be relegated from the third division as well so they'll be then playing the trade in what is technically not professional football in Germany especially a team with the stadium (laughs) the size of Hertha Berlin as well and investors there's obviously what the DFL are trying to do is invite investors into the Bundesliga or the top, into the DFL, should I say. And what they aim to do is obviously pump money in. One is for the media aspect of it, um, which in itself is, ad, as things currently stand, some aspects of the Bundesliga media are quite poor, especially with um, when it comes to sharing highlights and stuff. Because as soon as you share it, you will immediately get copyrighted. And the highlights will be... Which obviously in itself is quite hard to share the league. But on top of that, they're just pumping money into it. And that should be more money for the teams to spend on whatever. Um, Obviously, this ends up being something that's rather unpopular. With literally every Bundesliga team, apart from, surprise, surprise, RB Leipzig. (laughs) Now, I myself... I'm also torn in it. I think you can see the benefits of having investors into the league as it means there's obviously more money and with the fact that the Premier League just continues to have money pumped into it it's creating a gap 
and it, it literally requires stuff like this to happen um, so that is the only positive in my opinion but then the rest of it you're basically risking a bunch of people who don't actually care about the football itself coming in and trying to influence it to, to benefit themselves especially because it's investors all they care about is making more money and then it also results in clubs potentially just recklessly spending money I've, I think if you look at Hertha Berlin they are the prime example of teams that recklessly spend money and it's got them nowhere and obviously in other parts of Europe we see that as well mainly looking at Chelsea so yeah the whole idea of having investors in into the league is quite polarizing I mean from my point of view I've, I've never really liked the money side of, of football very much I I've in, in an ideal world football would just be about football and like all of this investing and sponsors and all of that but at the end of the day like it, it needs to be like what you want your league to to do. If you want to keep like an even league where everyone has like a competitive chance against the other, Bayern Munich is a special case because I don't know what the hell is going on there. But if you want, if you want everyone to be like on fair and decently even footing, if that's your aim, then you probably don't want investors. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Bundesliga is quite attractive is because there's no like huge disparity or like foreign investors like kind of like screwing up your clubs because it's not a guarantee that foreign investment or just in general investment will get you like um will get you like uh in a good place like look at valencia they like i, I think it's a singaporean company that went in pumped a bunch of money and then like you said like they don't actually care about the football they just care about the money and now like when things are like going down the drain they like they started building a new stadium for like no reason they stopped it because i don't know they just couldn't another club is like in shambles um conversely of course you have man city psg that have succeeded with a lot of investment um rb leipzig like you said if investment if heavy investment was to be like allowed would probably explode but yeah so if you want to like keep stability in your league you don't want investment uh of that sort and and like i said like that's one of the things that makes the Bundesliga quite attractive is that is that you have um teams doing well kind of like through their own merit but at the same time if you want your league to compete with the best like right right now we're seeing um tebas is for, for example the defective tebas or or uh oh, sorry the effective tebas's decisions for like la liga's investment and and like money reasons i don't really know what what the exact financial details of it are are really hurting teams um Serie A is also in a really bad financial situation and teams are really suffering, like like we saw in some European competitions. We saw internally, like uh, I, I think the net spend of La Liga in in the winter transfer window was like five million. Like 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 throughout the whole league, the net spend was five million or something like that. Uh, similar with Serie A, it was like ridiculous. And so when you have the Premier League, where teams like in Bournemouth are spending like a net thirty million like each each transfer window, and we, let's not even talk about like the really big teams. Uh, not that Bournemouth aren't massive, but like, um, if you want to compete with that, like, but they're not you... though. That's that's the thing. They're not. They have a stadium of nine thousand, and they're in the I... Premier League spending that much money. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Yeah, it, literally. And if you want your teams, especially like your more medium-sized teams, to be competing uh, with the Premier League and other like heavy investment uh, leagues, of which currently I guess there's nothing like the Premier League right now, but still, like, like you you, you can't survive without investment. Like at the end of the day, 
maybe Bayern Munich will keep up and they'll be able to um to stay on even footing with the best in Europe. But like eventually other teams like maybe Dortmund and such wouldn't be able to keep up. Leverkusen can have a glorious season this season, but then if you have like for example as an example, let's take um well I, I don't know like West Ham. West Ham gets a big investor. Newcastle, fucking Newcastle is a perfect example. Newcastle get huge investment and then suddenly they can outcompete Leverkusen on every single front because they can spend like 40 million in every position, maybe 60 million where Leverkusen can spend like 10 million. Like like it just it just you can't compete. We saw it in the summer as well where there was um Diego Carlos from Sevilla, a, literally a team in the Champions League got poached by Aston Villa and Bubakar Sumare, who was heavily linked to Atletico, also went to Aston Villa. Aston Villa who were like the bottom table. It was crazy. Uh, and yeah, so like it depends what where your aim for the league is. If if you want to, to grow and you want to compete with foreign leagues, with other European leagues, like you can't run away from, from the fact that, that football is more of a money game now than it's ever been before. But if you if you want to keep it more of like a Eredivisie kind of make it even keep a keep it keep it within like uh, like isolate yourself and make it even stable within your league like it, it, it that's how i see it so there, there's that decision of what do you go for and and this is the thing the whole investors it means the rich are getting richer so the way that the money will be separated and split up is the exact same as the tv money so as it stands as with the tv money Bayern munich received the most of it and then you've got Borussia Dortmund receiving the next most. I understand it's going to be quite difficult to go to Bayern Munich. Hey, take less money so we can give it to other teams. But without some way to convince these people that this is the way for the greater good, Bayern Munich will continue. This wealth gap will continue to stay the same, no matter if, for example, I don't know. Um, Schalke receive a lot of money the wealth gap is still going to be there and you see that with the Premier League it doesn't matter with no difference in wealth between the likes of Southampton and Manchester City um, no matter the fact that Southampton will receive more money than Bayern Munich it still doesn't make a difference the gap is still there and it's not going to change either um, but that's obviously it's very hard to convince people who are making money to give less of their money um, to people that need the money more which is obviously but this is turning into why there's fours in the likes of socialism anyway <laughs> we're now going to have our ad break, not ad break I wish it was an ad <laughs> break our uh, anthem break and then we'll be back with Liga And welcome back from our break. You just heard the Bundesliga anthem. So Nick, what did you rate it out of ten? It's quite good. Uh, yeah, it's good as a as a league anthem. Seven out of ten. The strong. Ten out of ten. 
best league anthem I know. May even be the only league anthem. So, next, Liga. As usual, PSG won. Um, they beat Troyes 3-1. They're kind of still in disarray off the pitch, PSG. But that's usual now. Um, Lons beat Marseille 2-1, which means Lons are the team that will have to pick up points if PSG drop them in their final four games as they sit six points behind PSG. But the game that everyone is talking about is Lille. It's not Lille. Lyon against Montpellier, which finished 5-4 with two players scoring four goals each. Um, Montpellier's striker, Lyon took the lead through Lacazette. Montpellier then equalised and then doubled the lead literally within a minute. Um, after half-time, they extended the lead through a penalty before then extending their lead even more um, to make it 4-1. Lacazette then equal or for one back in the 59th minute. Dejan Lovren then scored to make it 4-3. In the 82nd minute, Lacazette equalised to make it 4-4. Before in the 100th minute, Lacazette scored a penalty to make it 5-4 to Lyon. With that, it means Lacazette is now level on points with Kylian Mbappe. And it just kind of shows you that really... Um, Lacazette is as good as Mbappe. Yeah, you could make that argument. <laughs> but the fact that how, how you could say how poor Lacazette was at times in, at Arsenal and how how comfortable he is in Liga, because he's kind of literally picked up where he left off. Obviously, he was a killer at, um, at Lyon the first time. He then goes to the Premier League, very rarely breaks 15 goals, and then comes back and scores 24. Um, obviously, that you could make the argument about the quality in Lali, in Liga, but let's gloss over that. There has been no Jonathan David watch. No, hold on. Jonathan David watch. It has been 20 days since Jonathan David's last goal. I, 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 I believe uh, his streak will be broken this weekend and... Uh... We will have a positive David Jonathan David watch coming up in the next episode. Um, in Syria, Napoli cel- celebrated their title um, in Naples, or the winning of the title, uh, as they beat Fiorentina 1-0 with a Victor Oshiman penalty. Then, in the battle for Europe, Juventus beat Atalanta 2-0 to send them second. Inter beat Roma 2-0 to send them into fourth. And Milan beat Lazio 2-0, which closed the gap on... Lazio and Milan to three points. So it's getting tight there. And then in Belgium, we had... Obviously, the playoffs have already started. Um, Antwerp at top of the championship group, one point ahead of Genk and Union Saint-Gelois. Oh, Saint-Gelois and Genk face each other this weekend in what will... Both teams are hoping to close the gap on Antwerp. He played Club Rouge. Club Rouge are already out of it. They were before it even happened. They're 11 points behind Union Saint-Gelois, who are third. So this is literally a three-horse race in a, in a four-team group. But then uh, in, in some final Eredivisie uh, news, Feyenoord have the chance to win the title um, this weekend, actually, um, for the first time since maybe 2018. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, I mean, quite quite monumental considering the Ajax domination under Ten Hag, and uh, and yeah, I mean, monumental for the club. They play um, Go Ahead Eagles, currently sitting mid table, so they have a pretty good chance, especially considering their very strong form uh, as of late. 
so most likely we'll be we'll be back in the next episode congratulating Feyenoord. Meanwhile, Alex play uh, Groningen. Honestly, they are looking not beautiful. They drew last weekend against Azad Alkmaar. Azad Alkmaar obviously being a very good team uh, in the Eredivisie. But uh, I think Ajax will be suffering from the post-Ten Hag era for a while and the Eredivisie will go back to being a pretty competitive fight between three, maybe four teams if Azad Alkmaar um, can really push to, to be at the very best. But yeah, PSV on the other hand uh, beat Sparta Rotterdam 1-0, consolidating their second place. Uh, so most likely we'll be seeing them in the Champions League qualifiers. But it depends on the final stretch of the season as there's three games left uh, to play. Actually, hold on. Yeah, so I mean, Ajax can still make a crazy comeback and secure that Champions League qualifier spot. But uh, yeah, that's been it from us. Uh, and we will see you next week, Jack. Yeah, uh, please follow us, subscribe, do whatever. And yeah, we'll see you next week.